Hey, this is Lovely Creatures. So I would be 21 years old, riding my Harley, got the Mr. T starter kit, got an Uzi down my pants, and basically doing collections and, you know, riding my Harley Davidson into bars and just being a, uh, an absolute volatile, like a force to be reckoned with, or so I thought. We are at the ORC, and uh, welcome back to uh, Lovely Creatures. This is Drew. I'm here with Emma. Hey, Emma. How's it going? I'm wired on caffeine. What step are you working? I would be maybe three, six, seven, eleven. Consecutively or yeah, all at the same time? Yeah, pretty much in parallel. Really? Concurrently, concurrent disorder, concurrent, you have concurrent application. Step disorder? Yeah, I'm I'm in process. Okay. Interesting. It's a it's an it's an active process. I'm getting an aggressive gesture from the producer okay. to to, to Relax, yeah dude. tempers are running high. This is where you're there full of love and full of rage at there the same go. time. You're tripping over That's people right. in the program that you've slept with and family members, and it's a great wow. time. This is a conference. Kind of conference yeah, you really check your. Wow. You're like, oh, there's that guy from my four step. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> so we're here. We're we have here. the privilege and honor of uh, one of the uh, out-of-towners. We have this. We like to kidnap the out-of-towners and bring them up to a hotel room yeah. and uh, sit them down in the hot seat and say hi. We have uh, Jerry. Welcome, Jerry. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you for being you. here. Thank you for being here. So we were bouncing some ideas around as to what to talk about, and Jerry just landed in intervention. So I think we should just jump in because I'd love to hear about it. Sure. So, yeah, so you came to the program not through a uh, treatment center, but you had a little, uh, you got ganged up on, did you? I did. Okay. The treatment Tell center introduced it. me to the program, but it was my family that had made the recommendation that your alcoholism is killing you and you got to do something about your problem. Mm -hmm. So I had no idea that the 12-step program and AA were going to be uh, something along that journey. I just figured I was going to the spa for a while to get my shit together. Forced and massage. <laughs> Forced massage. I brought my, you know, my nail polish and my bathing suit. If I had golf clubs, I would have brought those. But <laughs> And why would your family arrange such a event for you? Well, uh, I guess a couple of months, unbeknownst to me, prior to June 5th, 2004, my mother, my sister, my father had been chatting about my condition. So I had been doing things like driving around with the young nephews in the car with loaded shotguns when I was caring for them. Mm. Um, you know, my 14-year-old stepdaughter that I had custody of had gone couch surfing instead of staying home with me. Um, they saw alcoholism killing, I mean, my spirit had been dead a long time, and I think they knew that, but my physical and mental being was starting to go, and they were seeing that, you know, mom was doling over thousands and thousands of dollars, and to no avail, um, you know, I wasn't making any progress in my life, and I was one day away from being evicted, and I'd stop showering, mm -hmm. eating, giving what a shit. What city were you in? Just I was in a place called Campbell River. It's in the north of Vancouver Island. Oh. Yeah, we called Canadian. it Giver River. I don't know. For some reason, <laughs> Giver River? <laughs> it was also known as Giver River. Okay. Hence why I liked it there. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little party town. What's Am there I to totally do in Campbell River? <laughs> yeah, it's a logging town and fishing uh, town. You party. That's what you do see, there. Yeah. See. And how old were you? 34. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you 
You're 34, and your family had arranged this kind of uh, soiree for you. Tell us, take us through the process. What happened? So I'm 90 pounds, sores all over my face, scabs. You know, the, the front lawn is this high. My car's up on jacks in the front yard. Daughter's gone. She's been gone for about six weeks. And knock on the door. Mom and sister show up. I'm in a fog coming off of a bender. I answer the door, and I'm thinking, wow, this, this must be like an impromptu from somebody because nobody comes to my house without phone first mm. it's a dangerous thing to do there's weapons and yeah you just don't i don't people don't come to They're my not house. all in the car you and keep let, some in the house yeah unless you're invited you don't come to my house so i was kind of like what the you know what's going on i go to the door i stumbled into the door and this beautiful beautiful purple satin house coat with flowers all over it that i thought was the shit at the time <laughs> and i answer the door and there they are and they're somber and i'm completely disconnected from any emotional state so i'm not impacted by their somberness i'm not really shocked i'm just oh i'm going through the motions right i open up the door i'm like a shell of a being it's like robotic yeah basically um you know in reflection i don't remember having any kind of feelings about them being there i wasn't terrified i wasn't scared i wasn't mad i was yeah there was flat i was flat i was yeah i was i was on my way out Okay, so just just to clarify, so to give you guys some context, we're looking at Jerry. Before she walked in, they kept saying, Jerry, I thought it was a guy. It's definitely a woman. Uh, she's extremely attractive. She looks very wealthy. Uh, she's very poised. And as we've just heard, she's talking about shotguns. Why did you have weapons in the house? I mean, why did you answer the door in a house coat with weapons? <laughs> what was going on in your life that you needed <laughs> weapons? Well, weapons were a constant theme. So I'm 34 at this time when they come to the house. Um, I started down a pretty dark path, about 17. So I was in with mafia, um, organized crime for most of my using career. So that's about 17 years. Um, And weapons were always a common theme. So I would be 21 years old, riding my Harley, got the Mr. T starter kit, got an Uzi down my pants, and basically doing collections and you know, riding my Harley Davidson into bars and just being a, uh, an absolute, you know, uh, volatile, like a force to be reckoned with, or so I thought, right? Um, you, not not, um, not the picture of uh, a poised ladylike individual, right? I was a 22-year-old uh, maniac. Um, I used to oblivion right from the get-go. So 15 years old, I was already blackout drunk, you know, waking up at the party afterwards on a, you know, bed full of broken glass at 15 years old and everybody else has gone home, you know, six, eight hours ago and I'm just coming too, you know, so I, I was an oblivion user. And in terms of your, your criminal element, did the drugs lead you into that? Was that to access the drugs or how did those two coincide at 17? Well, you know, drugs and alcohol weren't really enough, so I needed crime. So I need a lot of stimulation. Are you okay? And it wasn't just needing the stimulation. So I've got uh, a shit ton of child abuse. So I'm trying to kill the pain of six years of being violently sexually abused by three trusted adults in my life Uh from the age of six to 12. So, you know, alcohol and drugs weren't quite enough. I needed to to shock the shit out of everyone, including myself. And so I needed constant... Like the retaliation of... of I needed to feel stimulated. I needed adrenaline at every turn all the time. So I played sports. I did, you know, I had a double life going on for a while. I mean, I was a... I was a very bright individual in school. I... um, 
you know, I had a scholarship for the University of Idaho at 16 for baseball. Like, I was still doing that, but I was also starting down the dark side. So the double life was right. going on. So I think when they showed up at my house, they had known I was in danger for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think they'd felt in danger for a long time. I think the very first time my sister told me that she was terrified of me, she was tw- I was 21, so she would have been 19. Take us through it. So you yep. let him in the door. So Carrie and mom come in. Dad couldn't be there. He was away working, but he wanted his say. He wanted his part said at the intervention. And his part was he wanted me to make a fucking list of all the people I wanted at my funeral because I wasn't going to make it. And that that's his hard, hardcore communication. That's how Gary communicates. Gary's dad. Okay. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and in you your think? in your numb state, did you feel anything there? Nothing. No. Okay. I was see the I think what was happening at that point was that. It was like I was an iceberg and there was chips were starting to come off, right? The iceberg was maybe starting to teeter a bit. They were chipping away with the little things that they were saying. I wasn't having a profound sort of shift at that point to say, oh, I'm an alcoholic. I was in complete denial. There's no doubt about it. I thought I was actually doing fine. Right. That's what I was going to ask. Thank you. I Makes forgot sense. that. So in, in I'm your in mind, mind denial, yeah. never once did I ever think, I mean, I was the youngest female in a federal penitentiary at 19 years old for a DUI. And I spent the first three days in Ocala prison in BC out I like a light on suicide watch because of the pills that I had taken. It's all just a fucking blur at this stage. Like you're okay. So there and now like you read in the book right the parents and the the frothy emotional appeal of like please you're killing yourself please mm-hmm. we love you there was none of that it the, that's not getting through no. so what is getting through for you so i think what happened was like for them to come to my house and approach me about this would have been the most courageous thing they've probably done in their whole life because i was volatile like i just seemed smashing the teeth and have a conversation with you look at you or spend any time with you unless it was on my terms mm-hmm. that's how i rolled and I think for them, they were terrified. That's why they sought so much professional help from the individuals about how to talk to me, how mm-hmm. to approach me, what to say. So they mm-hmm. came in somber, they came in fast, and they came in hard. Mm-hmm. And um, they th- shoved the brochure across. So they said the piece about my dad. They spoke for him. And then my mom said, no more money. So when they came into my house, they had passed an eviction notice. So I was one day away from being evicted. Mom said, no more money, not bailing you out no more. I think you've had a problem with drugs and alcohol for a long time. You know, I'm scared for you. I'm scared for your life. My sister said, you know, this is a time for you to go to a place to talk to professionals about your childhood, get in touch emotionally, you know, get stabilized. She said, if I could go to this place, I would look at how nice it is. And she showed me the brochure and it looks like a fucking spa. And I was like, oh. And at that point, I was thinking about the situation that I was in. Mm -hmm. And that situation was a personal situation where I married a toothless crack addict in a blackout six weeks before that, 40-year-old toothless crack addict in a bla- five-day blackout and I don't even remember. And he was uh, a one class one loser. I mean, I didn't think I was a loser at the time, but that was that's where, that's where my life was at, mm-hmm. right? And so I was thinking, okay, I really want to get away from that situation. He mm-hmm. knows where I live. He come, like, I'm not liking that part of my life. And then my sister throws in the line about, it's like a spa and mm-hmm. you can just go relax. And if I could had this opportunity, I would love to get away from my life. And, just, and that, that was the first time where I sort of thought, oh, that might not be a bad idea. Like, shit's not going that great here. You know, I could just get away from, yeah, maybe right. that's not a bad thing. So you're still thinking, though, that you're playing it in a way, right? It's still your terms in a sense. You're not thinking, oh, I'm, go- I'm going to get the shit sober, out of the right? situation. You're oh, like, yeah. I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to so, get well, away from right the guy. Well, right now I'm not saying anything out loud. I'm listening. And then I decide, oh, my kitchen looks like 
super dirty. So I go over to the sink. I start doing dishes while they're there telling me, you know, the hardest thing they've ever had to say in their life. My house coat falls open and I see my ribs sticking out. And I look at my hands and I can see all the bones. And I think that was the first time that I actually saw how bad my physical condition was. Right. I it just, and I was like, okay. And then I got scared. And then my mom says, okay, we're going to go. We're going to leave the brochure here. If you decide, we'll be at Carrie's. You make a decision, but that's it. We're done. And then I walk them out to the car. And my sister says, you can't see the kids anymore if you don't take this opportunity. Mm. So I got a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-year-old nephew that are my whole fucking life. Mm. My daughter's already gone. So those kids are my whole life. And she says, that's it. We're done. And I can't see you anymore either because you're putting us all in danger. And then they get in their cars and they drive away. And I remember this was the most profound thing in my life. I remember standing there and I had that, uh, you know, my body was just got all hot and warm and I got goosebumps. And I'm thinking to myself, how the fuck did I get here? What happened? I never once thought I gotta, I'm a drug addict or an alcoholic or, you know, this is ins- your insanity, the way you're living. It was just like, how did I get here? Where is here? Like yeah. some, some, now all of a sudden there's a little bit of synapses, a little bit of electricity back in the brain that's not induced by chemicals. And I'm sort of like, there's another big chip comes out of that iceberg, right? And then I go back in the house and I had a shower, which I hadn't done in about two weeks. Looked in the mirror and thought, oh, I can't do this again. I'm not looking in the mirror again. Got dressed and walked over to my sister's because I had no car. Walked over to her place. I got on the internet, checked out the place online. I phoned the place and I'm like, is there caffeine? Can I smoke? And, you know, can I, you know, can I come on Monday? And they're basically like, well, you know, I'm not sure. And I said, well, look, these are the terms. I'm not, I can only come on Monday at two o'clock. That's the time I'll be there. And I hung up. And then I told mom and Carrie, okay, well, you guys can deal with this. You know, you, do, you organize the logistics. This is when I'm ready to go, and this is when I'm going. And this was Saturday. Mm-hmm. So I got my sister to drive me downtown. I bought a, a few Coronas. I bought a steak, and it was a hockey playoffs at the time. And I went home, and it was the first time I remember probably in 17 years that I ever felt some kind of relief. I did my laundry. I started cleaning my house. I opened up the blinds. I don't remember when the last time my blinds were open. And I remember cooking the steak on the stove. And thinking, I don't remember the last time I actually cooked food. Mm-hmm. So what was that relief from? What was the, what was the, why was, why did that appear? What was it in those kind of events that you sat into and like? Uh, in the moment, I don't think I was aware. But okay. in retrospect, yeah. I can say, I think the fight was over for me. Like, I think I knew, I think the fight was over. Okay. Right. I didn't know that I was in a fight for my life. But some level, some level of my being new. I knew for my sister to not let me see the children was, I must be bad. That was what went through my mind. She meant business. Yeah. And even for her to come there and speak Mm. to me like that, she's the baby sister and I was always the protector. So when I was being sexually abused as a kid in the house by people who were supposed to be taking care of us, Mm -hmm. my sister was always protected and I always got in the way. So as soon as I knew the perpetrators were going to her room, I was up there, right? They were going from my room to her room. I went up there. And so I've been always protecting her and that was that role that I took. So for her to actually stand up to me, I knew some shit was going down and I just wasn't, I knew something was going on. Right. Like, shit was getting real fast. Mm -hmm. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's let's just jump ahead really quickly. So that was your kind of you know that was a, a moment in time where your mm-hmm. alcoholism, your mm-hmm. drug addiction needed to be tended to. Mm-hmm. Let's fast forward to the first time you uh, came into contact with Alcoholics Anonymous. So that was June fifth. June seventh was the day that I actually stopped using and and entered into the treatment center and and the first thing they did was give me a a big book this blue book with Alcoholics Anonymous on it right so they do the intake process they give me this book and they give me a daily reflections and I'm like okay whatever I didn't you know whatever go into the lecture hall and they got this huge the steps are on the wall and I've seen the word God and I'm kind of like yeah whatever this kind of really isn't for me whatever I'm going to go have a smoke and I didn't really get it. I started, and then they said, I said, well, where's the professionals? I need to see a professional right now. I need to start dealing with my shit. My parents are paying $500 a day. Let's fucking go. Like, you know, let's get the shit on the road. And they said, no, look around at all these people. They're the ones that are going to get you better. They're all alcoholics and drug addicts too. And I was like, I just, you know, like I was just, I was in shock. Like, what are you talking about? Then they're all like, you know, all walks of life, judges, lawyers, doctors, cops, regular lay people, professional athletes, military people, you know, and you're a garden variety druggie like me. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, whatever. And then what happened a couple weeks later, somebody comes in and tells their story. And what did I say? I drink like that. Mm-hmm. And this guy said he's been sober for 16 years. Big biker rings, tattoos. He just looked like somebody who came from my kitchen table, right? And or that you married in a black guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, he was a bit better. He had teeth. Yeah. Hey, this there you go. It sounded like the guy you married was yeah. one step below that. Yeah. yeah oh yeah. Couple. Anyway, so yeah, I just my head kind of spun around like the Exorcist and off to the races, and I was starting to feel really good, and I was starting to realize. Holy fuck, my, I've been feeling this angst in my life because I'm an alcoholic, not because there's something wrong with me, not because I'm a bad person, mm-hmm. right? Not because of what happened to me as a kid or this violent relationship or any, my experience in jail, like none of that. Not circumstantial. I was an alcoholic, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So, and then I, I, we start, Sunday nights, we start big book study. And so I use the same big book that I've always used, right? 14 and a half years later, I'm still using the same big book. It's got the highlights from treatment. I always laugh at those, right? That's what I thought was important yes. back then. <laughs> wow. And the he. Sick as fuck. What the hell? <laughs> right? But I just, um, you know, I didn't get the God thing. And then, you know, right up, even if not, I was in there 90 days. And about 60 days in, my old best friend who used to be um, my using buddy, so we were known as the Acid Twins in high school, she was the one who also helped my parents. She was involved in the process, came and saw me every weekend. And I was like, oh, maybe you could be my sponsor. And she's like, no, no, I'm not in the program. I'm, I'm sober, I don't use, but I'm not in the program. And she says, it's a spiritual program, Jerry, not religious. Right. Because I was like, oh, yeah, there's this God thing and I want to go to church and I want to do all these things. And I mean, I wasn't getting it. I was. But what I did do was I complied. I surrendered and I complied and I followed direction Mm -hmm. probably for the first time in my life. You know what I mean? And was there anything in that you can tell us like a moment where you remember going, "Okay, I'm going to surrender to this or was it a gradual thing in AA? What what happened? Um. 
Some well, people, it's like some people, it's a sponsor for you. You know, you heard somebody told your story. Yeah, they told my story, and then I started listening, right? And I started to understand. Like, the one thing that really stands out for me that's been my, my go-to is rarely have we seen a f- person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. That's mm-hmm. it for me. Mm-hmm. You know how it works. It's right at every meeting. That's it. Rarely have we seen. Okay, so all I got to do is this, and I'll be able to maintain some sobriety in this wicked, cool feeling that I have all the time, which is what I was looking for in the drugs and alcohol, which is, you know, serenity, which is being being able to love myself, figuring out who I am, right? And being okay with that, shortcomings and all. Like, that's huge. I was a victim my whole life, and it was all about what everybody else had done to me. Mm-hmm. It's your fucking fault, not mine. And now I can, you know, now I can own my stuff if I make a mistake. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no ceiling. I remember my dad came to my 10-year cake and he wrote a speech. He actually had a piece of paper and he wore a sports coat. It was hilarious. And he started, and he, and, he's, and, he's, and the last thing he said was, yeah, remember, Jerry, there's no ceiling. Doesn't matter. I just, you know, I cheat, I do, and I just, whatever. Like, I went to university two days out of rehab for seven straight years and got a master's degree. I did counseling. My daughter came back after a year. Uh, you know, she's doing well. We've repaired those relationships. Um, I've been able to be trained and certified as an interventionist and help families, help their loved ones. That's one of my favorite things to do in my life. You know, I, I got a pardon for my criminal activity, and um, now I help offenders, you know. So I'm a criminologist. I'm a university professor. You know, it's it's unbelievable. My life is safe. I've got security clearance with all kind of like agencies, and you know, it's a yeah. It's, the RCMP took six months to do my to do my security clearance, and they come they they come back and they say, "Yep, yeah, yep, you're good. You know, you've been cleared." I'm like, "What? I didn't Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> Did I'm they like, tell you about this, this, and this? Yeah. Oh God. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to be back with you with uh, more alcoholics talking about uh, how they uh, recreate Guns their life. Guns and master's degrees. Guns, Guns and master's degrees. That's the title of this one. Guns and master's degrees. <laughs> this is lovely creatures. We're going to let her put her watch back on That's now. Right. She's quite an aggressive talker, That's so she right. kept slamming her very expensive watch against the mic. Exactly. We put it in the coach bag, and we're going to take it out now and give it back to her. <laughs> Thank you, Emma, for another uh, great episode, and uh, we'll be back to you soon. So, guys, we don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. We're just a few members trying to stay sober and maybe help someone else along the way. So we would like to thank the people who put this podcast together, Joshua, Tim, Neo, Drew, and I'm Emma. Original music in this podcast was created by Jeffrey Moon. Jeff, you're the best.